0: the FT. Hi, I'm Cardiff Garcia from the FT's podcast, Alpha Chat. And on the show this week, I talked to FT reporter Anna Nicolau and my colleague on Alphaville, Matt Klein, about the upcoming Canadian elections and the weakening economy of our neighbors to the north. Here it is. Anna. Yes. You're part of our like Canadian mafia here at the Financial Times. Yeah, we're growing.
1: There's like four of us now. Where are you from? I'm actually from New York, but I lived in Montreal and Toronto for nine years okay. before I moved here.
0: Which is somewhere up in that, in that Arctic yeah, tundra we, we refer yeah, to Yeah, it's as... just like a blob. Okay. So. okay, excellent. There's actually a lot of excitement coming out of Canada right now. Yes. Okay, what happened this week?
1: Okay, so Stephen Harper, who's been the conservative leader of Canada since 2006, so for a long time, he made a law basically saying that we're going to have this fixed date for the next election. So it's October 19th which Canada hasn't had before. Usually elections will happen, you know, when the prime minister decides to call an election or if they lose confidence in the House of Commons, something like that. But with this, it was the first time when people could actually anticipate a date for the election. So that was different, first of all. And then the prime minister will call an official start to the campaign period. At least in the past 10 years, it's always been right around the minimum, which is 36 days. So they have pretty short campaign periods. But this time he called it almost – Two months. Yeah, two months in advance. And a lot of people are saying that that was a tactic to outspend the other parties because his party has more money and their spending caps based on how many days the campaign is. So it would have been $25 million per party. Now it's just over $50 million.
0: So raise the spending limit presumably yes. because the conservatives have more money than the other parties. Yeah. The other two parties, this is interesting because one of the parties isn't usually a contender, Mm -hmm. and this year they seem to be. So first of all, which are the other two parties for our listeners who aren't familiar with the Canadian parliamentary system, including me? Okay, Who are the other (laughs) two parties, and who are their leaders?
1: So you have the Liberal Party, which has basically been the party that's ruled Canada for most of the past century. And their current leader is Justin Trudeau. The Trudeaus are kind of like the Kennedys of Canada. They're pretty well-liked. They're kind of good-looking Pierre Trudeau is his father, and he was a very popular prime minister. So they put Justin up, and people were excited initially because he was a Trudeau. But his popularity has kind of waned in the past year or so. And then you have the NDP, which is... The
0: New Democrats? Yeah,
1: New Democratic Party. So it's a social democratic party. It's further left than the liberals. They've really never been... Very popular at this kind of level. They've always been a second-tier party, like a fringy
0: kind of yeah, like
1: party. a wacky leftist party. And just in the past, you know, four years, they've kind of gained momentum. People call it the Orange Wave because the orange is their color. And this really kind of legitimized itself just a few months ago with the Alberta elections, because Alberta's been hit so hard by the oil crash. And for the first time in 44 years, they switched their government from conservative to NDP, which is completely unheard of. Um, so they went from
0: the conservative government to the far left government. Yeah, it's party. like
1: Bernie Sanders winning in Texas. Like it just, it was just absurd. Okay. Um, and I think that's kind of made people feel well, maybe the NDP really could be a party that could rule all of Canada, which they've never done before.
0: Okay, let's talk about the Canadian economy. Yes. Right? We're getting pretty close to the point where. It is officially in a recession. Mm -hmm. It might already be in a recession, but we don't know yet because these things operate on a lag. In other words, if you're in a recession, you don't know it for another three months because the official body that says so hasn't declared it yet. Yes,
1: we may or may not be in a recession.
0: Okay, but we think we might at least have two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. What happened? Because the narrative throughout the last few years has been that Canada was the one place that essentially sailed through the financial crisis and the subsequent downturns in other places.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's kind of Stephen Harper's big talking point, as he says, well, we did so well after the financial crisis. But a lot of that was based on, you know, Canada has a very regulated banking system, so they weren't hit nearly as hard as the U.S. was by the whole blow-up in the banks. So, yeah, they fared quite well in 2009-2010, and the whole thing has just kind of flipped itself over now because Stephen Harper's agenda was so pro-big oil, and oil has obviously crashed completely, and the economy is really struggling now. Harper and the Bank of Canada also have continually said that this is just a temporary thing. They expect you know, oil to impact things for the first quarter only, but they've been wrong about that already. It hasn't been contained in the first quarter. For now, it seems to be mostly oil.
0: Okay, so Matt, uh, despite your being from Chicago... You have this weird, quirky interest in our northern neighbors. Uh, I do. What do you think is happening with the Canadian economy?
2: Yeah, I I think Anna is right that oil is a big factor. Uh, If you look at the share of business investment that goes towards oil in Canada, it's something – nationally, it's like 30 percent, which is a pretty large number. A lot of that capex is being cut because the appeal – even though the existing – Tar sand oil projects that have been started are probably going to be completed. There isn't a lot of incentive, and we'll continue to pump for many, many years. There isn't a lot of incentive for making any new investments because it's very expensive and because the break-even price is something around the order of $60 for uh, West Texas Intermediate. And so right the, now, and the
0: break-even price is the price at which new investment makes sense uh, in drilling for oil is justified. Right.
2: I mean, part of the issue is that if we're going to get a little bit in the technicality, a lot of the Canadian oil and the tar sands, it has very high upfront costs. But then once you do it, it'll basically just keep pumping out for like you know, 30 yeah, decades, years. Right. right. And the cost of operating it once it's finished is very low. So for products that are sort of halfway done, there's a lot of incentive to keep going, even if oil price is low. And products that are finished, obviously, are going to keep pumping for a long time, which is going to actually suppress the price. But for new projects, you have to have a pretty high price, at least in the short term, to, to justify it. And that's higher than what it is now. So there's been a pretty severe cutback. Okay. And since oil investment is such a big part of total business investment, I mean, in Alberta, which is sort of an extreme case, Alberta, I think it's something on the order of like 60% of all business capex is oil. So if that mostly falls, you can expect there to be a significant shrinkage in the economy. I mean, that explains, I think, in part why there was an interest in a change in government and flows through to housing also, which is another big source of Know, what's going on in the Canadian Okay, economy. so
0: housing being the second point, because this is one of the things that we actually do hear quite often, which is that parts of Canada are in a housing bubble. Normally, I, I hear of this coming in the context of what's happening in Vancouver, where there's a lot of immigration, where housing prices are just completely insane. Uh, how big a deal is it right now, do you think, Anna?
1: I think it's something that people have been complaining about for quite a long time. I, I can remember five years ago, also, everyone was talking about the housing bubble. Um, Vancouver and also in Toronto, people also... You know, just often say, well, they're letting all these Chinese investors come in and, you know, inflate the prices of houses and then middle class people can't afford to do buy anything else. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. And it, it doesn't seem to be slowing down, which I think is kind of also been a conundrum for the Bank of Canada when you have an economy that's lagging. It's but not the,
0: doing well, yeah. but if you keep policy loose, you might yeah, exactly. inflate the housing bubble.
1: Yeah, so that's that's been an issue for them for quite a while. And I think especially now when you have five months of negative GDP, but there's still a housing bubble in a lot of these, in the in, in the biggest cities of Canada. Matt, you
0: want to chime in on
2: that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's arguably part of the reason we were talking about why Canada sailed through the recession. Obviously, they didn't have the downturn that we did in housing. Not only did they not have a downturn, but they also had house prices go up a lot, uh, especially when Carney was there before he left to move to England. Mark Carney. Mark Carney, the, former, the governor, right, right. the former governor of the Bank of Canada. That was arguably part of the policy was let's, you know, sustain because a lot of. Canadian industry is exposed to U.S. demand. When the U.S. economy fell, you need to offset that somehow. So oil was helpful. The other thing that was helpful was you have this domestic housing boom with construction and people taking out a lot of mortgages and, and buying things. And there's presumably some limit. It's sort of surprising that Canadian household debt, it used to track reasonably well with U.S. household debt. You know, we're in many ways relatively similar people. It's one of the reasons I, I like looking at Canada. But there's a huge divergence starting around 2007 where Canadian household debt just keeps going way up. U.S. You know, household debt has been going down for a lot of reasons. But you know, how sustainable that is, especially if you know, the Chinese investor phenomenon is real, arguably some of that is you know, immigration. Some of that's also Chinese people thinking, hmm, you know, situation in China is not great. It would be nice if I could go somewhere where I could – if I buy a house, I get you know, certain residency benefits. There's rule of law. I can leave if there's a corruption crackdown. That may – that flow could either continue a lot or it could cut back rapidly if the government decides to be tougher on enforcement. Okay, the loony,
0: right. the Canadian dollar has weakened considerably against the US dollar in the last few years. Anna, your friends are all super obsessed yes. with this, right?
1: <laughs> I feel like generally there's a concern about the economy, but it doesn't seem as much as you might think given the numbers that are out there, but there's always seemed to be this obsession with the Canadian dollar and its status versus the US dollar. I think a lot of it is purely because I mean Canadians go shopping in the US, they're shopping on amazon.com. There's this very everything's long very expensive yeah, I mean just I mean just their status as, you know, the little brother to the US has kind of ticked people off for a very long time. So I think there's this I
0: would think companies would be happy about this. They can export more to the US. It makes their products cheaper.
1: Well, that's the irony is that I mean at least in theory the the weak Canadian dollar is supposed to be what's bringing them out of this if we're in a recession. It's supposed to help. But people are still just freaking out about the Canadian dollar where it's going if it's going to keep going lower. I I have friends at the Globe and Mail in Toronto, and they say whenever they put a story about the Looney, it's just automatically the most read story on the website, no matter what's happening. It's like more than Taylor Swift. Um, so, <laughs> That's really big. Then. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing I hear the most from Canadians is about the Looney right now.
0: Okay. Anna Nicolaou, reporter for the FT and leader of the FT's Canadian Mafia here in its New York offices. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Cardiff. Hey, everyone. Cardiff again in the present day. If you like that segment, you might want to subscribe to FT Alpha Chat. It's a newly revived podcast on business and economics from the Financial Times produced in New York. And you can find it wherever you find FT Podcasts in general. And let me know what you think. You can tweet me at Cardiff Garcia.
2: For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.